Hey listener, we care about you and the Grace Story community, and so we wanted to give you a quick heads up that in this episode, there are some potentially uh, triggering uh, items, including uh, eating disorders. Um, we specifically talk about anorexia um, and some other issues surrounding that. Uh, so I want to let you know that just before we get started. Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Great Story Podcast. As always, thank you for joining us once again on this particular episode, uh, one where we're going to dive into the world of, of anorexia, and we have Danae Miller. Uh, she's going to be talking to us a little bit about her journey of restoration what that looked like being deep into uh, the the eating disorder of anorexia, kind of how she came out of that, and what that looked like, what her life looks like now, um, and what she might say to those on the journey of restoration. Before we jump over to Danae's conversation, uh, I do want to encourage you, go over to greatstoryministries.com, check out everything that's going on over there. If you haven't subscribed to our mailer list, go ahead and do that. Lots of exciting things coming up. Women's conference is, uh, is it seems like November is a far uh, a stretch out, but it is just around the corner. So you're not going to want to miss any of the updates, uh, any of those uh, markdowns or discount codes that get sent out every now and then. Um, there's also reminders about podcast episodes and uh, blog posts for the just there's so much over there um, that you won't want to miss. So subscribe to our mailer list over there as well. And if you haven't joined our Facebook group, the closed community group, uh, head on over to Facebook and just type in Grace Story, all one word, Grace Story, and then community. And it'll pop right up for you. There will be a few questions for you to answer, part of the screening process, and then we'll be able to get you into a community of those that are on the journey of restoration. Uh, it's over 500 strong people that are uh, in search of resources, encouragement, uh, and everything that Grace Story Ministries has to offer. All right, let's jump over to our conversation with Danae Miller right now. Danae, welcome to Grace Story Podcast. How are you doing today? Um, I'm all right. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Is this your first podcast that you've ever been on or are you like a podcast pro? Yeah, definitely the first. I'm not a pro, not by any means. Not, not doing the uh, speaking circuit in anywhere. No, that's okay. I'm good. <laughs> so being relatively obscure then, uh, we we want to get the, the listener to know you. So sometimes I drop an icebreaker question out there just to kind of get people to know you a little bit better. And I've been saving one, which kind of, it's kind of interesting. If you could travel, if Danae could travel to any time period, backward or forward, where would you go? Not forward. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's unknown for a reason. Um, I, I, I'm going to make it complicated. I think if I could have been born in a different time, I would have been like born into the 60s. So I would have been like a, an adult now that way because I already know what's happened <laughs> and I like knowing what's going to happen. So they'll be like, um, you know, there'll be a presidential race. They won't know who's winning. I'd be like, ah, no stress. I already know this. No worries. I don't know. That's that's my thought. So I, I guess I was 
wish I was born in the 50s after World War II, obviously. And, and you know, so so then I just know what's going on. So this is, <laughs> more, this is more of a practical sense instead of oh, like, yes. I want to experience the you 60s. You want to get to know me? There you go. <laughs> so you when you when you go on like long trips and things, are you a big planner then? Or or do you no long trips yeah. at all? Or it, no. It, I do like um, long trips, but um, we're never going to get to the point of this podcast because um, (laughs) uh, on our honeymoon, my husband was supposed to be in charge of what we were going to do. And um, he didn't get that memo. Ah, so we, so we, we start out on this road trip, which we knew was going to be a road trip, but he did not plan anything else. We were going to get in the car and go. And so that was uh, the first breakdown, which was like day two of being married. <laughs> we are like, I was like, you don't have a plan. Um, so that was that. There you go. That's me in a nutshell. <laughs> well, it sounds like opposites in some instances do, do attract. Oh, yes, for sure. <laughs> Please for tell sure. me you at least had a general direction you were heading. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we explored the southern part of the United States, which was cool. I mean, we, we saw, we went down to Gatlinburg and then we hit... Um, Asheville, North Carolina saw the Biltmore, which was awesome. The, the estate there. And then we went to Charleston, South Carolina. So Mm -hmm. we did some cool stuff. I ended up, you know, figuring out what we were going to (laughs) do and we did some cool stuff. It was worth it. That sounds really cool though. It was awesome. Cause over here I'm thinking like, Oh, like a general direction and you kind of go with the flow. You kind (laughs) of know what you're doing, but just enough where it's like you have wiggle room. That sounds good to me. And I agree with that. I think I would have just preferred more of a direction <laughs> at all. <laughs> That's interesting though. Cause, uh, our, our, uh, me and my wife, we went to, um, a place called hot Springs, North Carolina, just outside okay. of Asheville. So yeah, awesome. That's it's funny. really nice yeah. down there. It is. So we're bringing you on, uh, to talk about a topic that, um, I don't know. Do you, being in it, do you think there's enough recognition around anorexia and eating disorders or is it kind of like something that's put in the background? Like maybe don't talk about it as much or is there a stigma Uh, around it? It's, um, it's become more, uh, relevant, um, in the nowadays because it's had to, unfortunately. Um, but, in the church world, it's always been a little more hush-hush. Even like anxiety disorders or depression, it's kind of like had this thing of like, well, Jesus will get you through it. Mm. Well, he will, but if your leg is broken, you go to a doctor, you know? Sure. So so I think it's great to talk about it within within the, the CHM and within the church world um, more. And yeah, Jesus was definitely, you know, why I'm here today, but he used professionals. And I think that bringing it to light and helping people know how to deal with it it, with their own kids and in their own lives is more important. So I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, it it does. It does. And for those of those listening that uh, the CHM stands for conservative holiness movement, uh, just a church group uh, among others as well that, that she mentions here, but when you're when you're talking about this, I love it because yeah, you do go to your doctor for a broken leg. But when when we say like normalize some of these things, normalize anxiety, we're not saying I, at least I'm not make it something everybody has or like no. make it, yeah. Please make what I say make sense, <laughs> <Yeah>. please. <laughs> but like normalize, like like make it so, so that someone experiencing that can talk about it, mm-hmm. can come up yeah. to you and say yeah. yes, I believe Jesus can get me through, but. 
oh my goodness, I'm struggling right now. And that's right. where we, ca- we carry each other's burdens. Um, yeah. So your story, because uh, you're coming on too to share part of your story, which I think is so mm-hmm. brave because we're already mm-hmm. kind of talking, it's not talked about a lot. And when you put your story out there, not to make you nervous, but you can't take it back. You know, people hear it uh, and you can't yeah. unsail a ship or uh, you know, anything <laughs> like that. So with yeah. you, I want to, I want to uh, put it over to you. What, where would your story begin if you were sharing with just, you know, 500 of your closest friends here? Um, where would your story begin that you'd want to share with them about your journey with the eating disorder anorexia? Um, I, it kind of starts with, um, parents that were trying to do right by, by what they knew, you know, um, but they, they ended up with a messy divorce when I was around 10. And I can't honestly say this led to this led to this led to anorexia. Okay. Obviously, but you know, there's, there's trauma. There's, there's, there's a lot of that comes with that. Both my parents were suffering and I was suffering and my older sister. And it just, I think that that would be the, the catalyst, I guess you could say that started that. But to be fair to any parents listening or whatever, um, it's not just your fault because that comes from so much before even them, you know, their relationship with their parents and so on and so on. And now I can point back to stuff like that um, in their lives, you know, my father's rough relationship with his father and so on and so on. I mean, it's not their fault, okay? Nobody's fault. It wasn't my fault. So um, I was about 15 years old when I just started on a diet with um, a friend and um it, you know, you, you lose the first six pounds and it's almost like addictive. Mm. It, it was for me. Um, so not only that, but as a teenage girl and you're looking for, um, acceptance and, uh, love or, or attention it, from anywhere you could, you could get it. You start to get that more as you lose weight, you become the world's idea of what's pretty and I, I specifically remember I'd lost quite a bit and I went to summer camp. And for the first time in my life, this boy started sitting beside me, started talking to me. And I was like, okay, you know, this is, this is good. Um, and I think that that just kind of, it's natural. It just, it's not anybody's fault. It just is how that happened for me. And then to move on, uh, it just becomes, it became for me how I could best describe as an addiction to it was never enough and at the point where my family started to notice they would say things like just eat and and I could see the pain I was causing them and I have never been what you consider a bad kid I've never been a rebel really but at that point I didn't know how how to just eat I didn't even know what that meant anymore and when I, that's when I started seeing how much it was hurting them. And that's what really bothered me because at that point, um, anorexia can often come hand in hand with depression. And at that point, I can honestly say, I didn't care whether I lived or died, honestly, but I could tell that it was hurting them. 
And that's what led me to agree to going to a, a residential treatment facility and getting help. It wasn't even for me, really. Um, but I could tell that it was killing them. I remember specifically, uh, I was just, I think, getting coffee in the morning and my mom came in and she is not a very emotional person. She's not very uh, genteel. Um, <laughs> anybody who knows her would probably be dying at this right now. She's more of the person to like slap you upside the head and be like, I love you. You know that, right? Um, but <laughs> so she came into the kitchen and she just started bursting into tears. And she's like, she's screaming at me, just eat, just eat. Look at your arms, just eat. Because usually at that point, I would wear long baggy clothes to cover up the fact that I was so thin and I was just wearing a t-shirt and I hadn't hidden it well enough for my mother, I guess. And she just kind of lost it. And that always sticks with me when I think about that time. Like my parents were at their end and um, that's what really spurred me to get help. Uh, it wasn't for me. Well, in parents, anybody that's ever dealt with any type of disorder in their kid, like uh, you're not even prepared for regular parenting, <laughs> let alone, you know, something. Yeah. And, and you talk about skinny arms or, or something like that. Like, I want to give, if it's okay with you, the listener a picture because dieting sounds okay. And, yeah, you know, you mentioned you sure. know, the, the boys noticed or whatever, <laughs> and, you know, you're accepted a little bit more. Yeah. And that sounds like the beginning, but for for you, where did anorexia lead? I mean, it sounds like malnutrition for one. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you can give us yeah. a picture, not just of, you know, the skinny arms, but how you felt, uh, you know, energy wise and things like that. I had no energy <laughs> at the, toward the end. Um, I didn't care anymore. And I think that part of that was also addictive in, in that there was a lot going on in my family with the messy divorce, with my mom getting remarried and this, there was a lot going on. And I think that my lack of energy was almost a numbing effect. So to be, I re only remember some parts of high school from like 15 to 18 because, because you are so starved that your brain is in a fog, basically. And I, I mean, I did well academically. I got, I became the salutatorian of my high school class, but that's all I did. I did my schoolwork and I shut down. I woke up, I did my schoolwork and I, cause I had no energy to do anything else, which was almost helpful in some, not helpful. I don't mean that, but it was numbing in that. I didn't care what was going on with my parents, my sister, because I was just out of it. And so was I malnourished? Definitely. When you are so out of it that you don't know what's going on and you don't care. Yeah, um, definitely. And I remember after spending some time in rehab and they do what's called weight restoration. So they, they basically have you come in and they start feeding you like you're supposed to be. They, they start increasing it slowly because they know what they're doing. And that in itself is so hard, but they can't even begin to do the internal work until, until your brain is out of that fog. You have to be nourished in order to do any mind, any heart work. So I wasn't even there at that point. So um, I was thin, yes, and I, at, when I knew something was wrong is when I was past what I even considered pretty 
but and I was trying to cover up parts of my body, like my arms and my legs were specific things that I would try to hide a lot. But when I looked in the mirror, I still saw <laughs> what I imagined to be fat on my stomach. Mm. And I was and I was driven to get that gone. I can't imagine now what that looked like. I had to be I had to be imagining it. I had to have a false body image because I see pictures of myself now and I, I'm like, oh dear, you know, that's alarming. Um, but at the time I, I knew that was there and I had to get it gone. It's just, it's just so sad. So kind of a sidebar here, cause you're talking about, you have a different mindset now, obviously, uh, looking into somebody else's life and understanding where you were at at that point, you say what got you out of it was people around you hurting, uh, and you not wanting them to hurt like that. Yeah. But, if someone that's not enough for them, how, how would you even speak into someone's life like that and help them when they look in the mirror and still see, I could lose a pound here. I could lose a little bit more there. How do you reach uh, someone like that? At, at that point, besides prayer, the only thing that, I'm sorry, I don't know if this is just defeatist or what, but I think the only thing that can get them help is professional help, like a professional who knows how to deal with this sort of thing because because there are people who deal with uh, struggles with body image and stuff that are, they're not to the point where they need to go to a doctor, you know? They need mentors and they need help. But when you're, you're so to that point, just go get professional help. I, I destigmatize it. Do whatever you need to do. It, it, there are programs out there for if you think you can't afford it, but that is a real concern. So yes, Jesus can help, but you've got to you got to go to someone who knows what they're doing. So how how long did you deal with with anorexia? So I I can't remember the exact age. I think I was fifteen, and until the summer after I graduated from high school. So my, my high school year, I missed my senior trip because I went to residential treatment. So, um, which is fine because I didn't want to go to my senior trip because yeah. So, um, until I was 18, so 15 to 18 thereabouts. Yeah. And then you struggle, I struggled with it outside of residential treatment. Um, I am more healed today than I was my freshman year of college, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. It's just an ongoing thing. Yeah. And that's a great, that's a great caveat to, to my next question, which was you, you had this intensive three years with uh, the milestone of this uh, treatment. And Mm -hmm. then I'm sorry, we go back out into a world where all of the same stressors are there. You go home, you turn that doorknob and you walk into the same uh, family life, family dynamics. Uh, Now you're trying to decide on colleges and school Uh, or, you know, maybe should I start a job? What what should I do? Um, What did that look like coming? Because and we're going to circle back to what your treatment kind of looked like a little bit more. But coming out of that into the culture of what we have, the South Beach diets and Atkins and keto and what, what did that look like for you coming out of this? Is it just you had all the tools you needed and you just pulled out tools from your bag when you needed them? Or That's so funny that you would use the word tools because they they have you do all sorts of art projects and this, that, and they give you a literal box that they call your toolbox. And they, in this, in, at Sela, that's what they did. That's what it was named um, where I went. Uh, so it was literally t- called a toolbox, which is funny. Um, so 
before I left, uh, before I graduated high school, my music teacher, who is my best friend's mom, coincidentally, pulls me aside and she says, I don't normally tell kids what they need to do with their lives. Um, she's like, but you need to go to GBS. And at okay. the time, I was like, um, no, because <laughs> um, I wanted to stay at home where I was, quote unquote, more comfortable. I think what I really wanted was to stay home so I could continue living my life of eating nothing because um, that was most important to me for some reason. Um, and then I was at Sela, the residential treatment facility, and um, I thought, you know, I can't go back to the same stuff. You know, life isn't perfect at home, and I know that. And I know if I go home where they will try to do right by me, but they don't know how to deal with this sort of thing. You know, they don't, they aren't professionals. <laughs> They'll try, but they don't completely understand um, my, my family, my grandparents. So I um, decided, you know, GBS um, living in the dorm would be a fresh start. It would be a place to start from the, and it's God's Bible school in college. So, you know, it should be a, a safe atmosphere. Um, and I actually, I'm so glad I did it. I think I was right. I think if I had gone home, it would have ended very badly. I can only imagine not because it's anybody's fault because you're right back to where you, you started and all those triggers are still so there. Um, so I think going to GBS and, um, yeah, it was a struggle to go through the cafeteria line. It was a struggle. Um, but I think it was for the best and yeah, yeah, it worked out well. There's also probably that structure there of, you know, there's, there's specific times for eating and specific <laughs> times for studying. Yes. And it, yes. I, I, as a, as a graduate of GBS, I will tell you, it is very structured. So <laughs> <laughs> it is, you have to make it on time. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, most people's days will start at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and they, they won't end till, you know, you get back mm -hmm. in that dorm at 10 and then it's time to study and boom, you're right back at it. Yeah. So, yeah, I actually thrived in it though. I, I think it, that structure for sure. I think so. Yeah. Well, if there's one thing we've learned about you, it's you like the structure, you like the plans. I love it. I do. I do. <laughs> so, so with this, let's go back to to that uh, that treatment, because I mean, besides it being a great escape from your senior trip, um, mm -hmm. which there's easier ways to get out of that, by the way. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I seriously, last night, my best friend, she she's still ribbing me about that. I was like, I had a really good excuse. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. So with that. When you, when you go in there, because there may be others like, okay, I know I probably need professional help. I'm listening to you. Um, it may be one side where, yes, it's anorexia and not eating, or it's the other side where overeating or, you know, whatever it may be, because there's a large spectrum of eating disorders. Yes. Yes. So someone listening to you, because I kind of heard, you know, you went in there, it's great, but then you came out and you needed to go somewhere else for, for even more help. Mm -hmm. Was I there, did. was there any, what, what was the value to you of going to, to this, um, Sela? Uh, it's, I don't know how to say it without, I, it saved my life because before that my parents had tried outpatient therapy. Um, and I was like, man, they're all quacks. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever. I actually went to 
an eating disorder professional and she said draw she said take this rope and make a circle of how big around you think you are because she thought she was going to catch me in some kind of like your disordered image of yourself you know you're actually too small and you need to be I I I put my circle and she goes okay well you're kind of right that that is about your size and I was like see y'all are crazy I know what I'm doing well that that was not good obviously um (laughs) Uh, but then I went to a physician um, because I think my my mom, she was trying everything she could. So she worked in a, in a doctor's office. So she had me go in there and they did an EKG. And, uh, there, oh, to back that up, there were times when I would lay in bed at night and pray that my heart wouldn't stop because I could just feel like it was so slow and my breath was staggered and I was so hungry and so tired. Um, so I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know how to help it. So I went to this uh, physician and she said, Danae, there's a line between life and death and you're walking it. And that that was also really scary, um, just her being so frank. Um, and so that's how I ended up at Sela. And they that's what they do. Um, so no matter what uh, great diplomatic skills I had trying to talk my way out of things, trying to talk my way out of, uh, these, uh, milkshakes or whatever that they try to give you whenever you need to up your caloric intake. You know, I tried all of my tricks and they just smiled and just slide the milkshake across the table. (laughs) You know, they're really good at what they do. And that's why I so recommend professionals because that's it. And, um, I think I, I know for me spiritually, um, when I was there and my brain came out of the fog, I thought the, the whole time I have been in a relationship with Jesus or so I thought I, um, read my Bible and prayed the whole time through from 15 to 18, I tried to do what was right. Like I said, I wasn't really a rebellious kid. And I, I love that one of your questions was about God being, you know, good or whatever. God was always there. Even if I wasn't there, present in mind, he was. Um, and so whenever at some point in treatment, I I had a realization. I was like, I could do nothing for God. I couldn't fulfill his plan for my life when I had one foot in the grave. When I literally could hardly get out of bed in the morning, I couldn't fulfill any plan f- for, I couldn't fulfill his plan for my life. And I just thought, God, no matter what I look like, this is it. I'll do it for you. At that point, it changed from, I don't want to hurt my family anymore because I was already here, already halfway weight restored. Um, and it turned to, God, I'm going to do this for you. And I think that really made a difference too. I think it's made a difference with my whole life. So, oh, I yeah. bet. I mean, our ultimate, <laughs> our ultimate purpose in life is to glorify God uh, yeah. in any way we can with whatever we can. Sounds like you really grabbed a hold of that. <laughs> well, and something I noticed about what you said too is um, you went to multiple professionals, multiple people, multiple yeah, resources. My poor parents. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like all of them were a fit either. No, um, that's a big deal. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes people may get into like, oh, I tried a professional. I already tried the one and yeah. it's not for me. Um, yes. And I'll be like, yes. yeah, yeah, not every professional is a right fit. Not yeah. every professional is very professional. Yeah. Yes. Um, so my mom did great with with 
when this first started, when I was like 15, you know, pretty young, she took me to the first um, therapist she could, she heard of or could think of. And I walked in there and I walked out. I was like, that lady's nuts. (laughs) And my mom said, yeah, you don't have to go back because I thought so too. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) so yeah, not the first one. So after I went to GBS, I got in contact with a therapist. Um, I can't remember the counseling group that was attached to GBS at the time. Uh, I don't know if they still are. Anyways, Jacinda then Cravens was there. Yeah. She became my therapist. And I think she would be one of the hugest impacts I had in my life then. Um, She heard it all and she dealt with it perfectly. Even if eating disorders weren't her specialty, um, she handled it so well. And yeah, I definitely recommend ongoing treatment after a residential facility. I think that's paramount. You have to. Yeah. Well, and was part of that with, with uh, Jacinda and others there, was it, you know, knowing your story or was it, you know, dealing with the symptoms or what, what specifically was helpful in that relationship? Okay. Yeah. So at Sela, they're dealing with a lot of the symptoms. They don't, they, they, we had nine weeks together and they can only do so much in nine, nine weeks, believe it or not. Uh, They're unraveling three years plus your childhood trauma. So when I came to uh, Jacinda, she started working on family of origin, you know, going back to where it all began, where it all began for my parents, which is what I touched on in the beginning, if if you know, if you remember. Um, So she really dealt with the underlying issues more than anything, although she was an accountability partner. Did you eat breakfast today? Mm. Did you eat lunch? You know, she was so good like that, even if that wasn't. And she would tell me, she's like, this is not what I'm specifically trained for, but I'm doing my best. And, um, she's like, I can only help you as much as you're honest with me. And yeah, so that worked out. Well, and with, you've mentioned several times and it, it's, it resonates with what Grace story goes through. Even my own family, Amber's, uh, same family there. When it comes to family of origin work, it's not about pointing fingers, blaming parents and being yeah. like rubbing your face in it. No, no, it's actually, I, I forget who it was, but in one episode, I think it was Dr. Andrew Graham who said when he's worked through some things uh, and some of his clients have, it actually gives him more compassion uh, for mm-hmm. his parents, more love. Yes. Um, yes. His, yes. It was one of his clients who said that like, hey, no, I actually care more for my parents. Like, hey, you went through so much and you were doing your best and you didn't even have the resources that I have now. I yeah, can't imagine. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So with, with some of this not having resources, not knowing a bunch, there's people that don't know a lot about eating disorders and anorexia. If, Most if, of my circle at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> right. if, if there's one thing, maybe two, whatever it is, that you wish everyone would know about the life challenges surrounding eating disorders, what would it be? So that's hard. The one thing... Um, for one, telling them to just eat probably won't work. Uh, just deal with them with compassion. Um, it's, it's not, they're not doing it intentionally. Uh, Usually it's past that point when it's to the point of concern. Um, so (laughs) also the weird comments don't help. I have one teacher who would show his concern by giving me weird looks every day, usually around lunchtime. And that didn't help either. Uh, It just makes the kid want to withdraw. Um, Bless his heart. He didn't know 
he it was there's also like the male female teacher student divide because he didn't want to <laughs> say anything but he just giving these funny looks um i think you know the stroops so mr stroop um he, he that was his way of dealing with just it doing bless his him best. bless him that might not be it either occasionally though um i i had a my best friend i referenced her she was my roommate in college she she stuck with me as much as she could but we're both in high school so I'm withdrawing, you know, I'm just doing my work and getting through the day and kind of, I'm not even a person, a whole person anymore. So, um, finally she wrote me a letter and she's just like, something's wrong. And she's like, I know something's wrong and I'm here for you. And that helps, but just know it's okay if they don't respond to that because they can't really help it. It's, it's, it's kind of to that point, I think. Well, does, you, does that answer your question? It, it does. Yeah. And, you, and you talk about the fog that you're living in too, not only from your, your, your body image uh, that, that you, that's not real, this reality, mm-hmm. but also just the malnutrition. <laughs> yeah, Do you exactly. have the energy to pick up the, the pencil and write? Because you that's, may be deciding between finishing your social studies uh, homework <laughs> or right. writing a response that exactly. is emotionally and physically exhausting. Mm-hmm. I, I think I found... Jacinda, whenever I went to GBS, because I was just fresh out of treatment. And she said, when you tell your story, you go robotic. Mm. She's like, you have no emotion. And I think that's just kind of how I dealt with it. Now, on the other side of that, I am one of the most emotional people you'll ever meet. (laughs) So I think I'm on my way to healing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I like structure and I like to cry within the structure. So I don't know. (laughs) Um, Well, it sounds yeah. like though you you mentioned a while ago, and you kind of backtracked on it, but you said it was helpful for me to do this. The anorexia, it was helpful for me. Yeah, and, it sounded and, wrong. Well, it did, <laughs> except now that you bring up another adaptation you made as a kid to work through trauma, um, mm-hmm. it probably was helpful. Yeah. Being, being robotic probably was helpful for you Yeah, in the moment. And now that you're in a healthy place, you recognize it is no longer helpful. Right. So a distinction there, and correct me if I'm wrong, in the moment you were doing these all, all these adaptations through therapy and through talking with professionals, how have you come to recognize that it's no longer helpful? Uh, and, and moving forward, how are you changing behaviors? Well... Um, Jesus wept. Let's get real spiritual. Uh, (laughs) Jesus wept. No. (laughs) Well, I will use that. Um, I think that verse is in there for a purpose. I realize I'm speaking a sermon from two words, but the Bible doesn't make mistakes. So if Jesus can weep, I can too. It also talks about, um, I, I feel like the psalmist David after God's own heart, I mean, he is up and down and every which way all throughout the scriptures. And I'm right there with him. At one moment, he's just like on the mountaintops dancing. And in the next, he's like wishing the worst kind of death on his enemies. I am right there with him. Um, I feel like we can be God's own heart being emotional people. And when did that, when did I make that change? It was slow. Uh, It was in, in therapy sessions in college with Jacinda, um, it wasn't really in residential treatment because, because I'm so practical. I'm sitting there at, at 17 going, 
lady, you're only going to be in my life for a couple more weeks and then I'm out of here. So I'm not going to share everything with you. Um, and she knew that. Um, so I get, I get out of there and I, I'm, I'm becoming an adult. I start dating a boy and I know this, I'm going to need to grow up. Things are getting serious and uh, I'm getting more serious with my walk with God. I'm at GBS. I'm it's, it's perfuming the air, uh, this, this God thing. And so it became more real. And at that point, uh, the change kind of happened gradually, but as we worked through family of origin stuff and we talked about things that hurt me as such a small kid, um, that I didn't know had that one thing would bring up another that bring up, I would spend entire sessions just in tears trying to talk through it. Uh, and I think that's kind of what started it going back to the things that you didn't know really bothered you and having someone say, that's not okay. Mm. That's, that's, it's okay that that hurts you. It's okay for you to feel this way. Just having someone, a professional that's telling you, or even just a, just a mentor, or a friend just being like, it's okay that that hurt you. Um, giving you permission, permission to feel and for it to affect you, I think is a big deal. Well, as you worked through your story there and now you're sharing your story, I mean, that's a, that's a big move too. Uh, ha, have there been times where you've been able to share your story with others, not on a podcast, obviously, but just to help others? Are there stories of inspiration maybe that have come out of you now passing uh, or, or being as Sue Bull said in one episode, one step ahead, reaching behind, Hey, Hey, we, we can do this. Just so everybody knows, it's only one step. Like I'm not two or three, just one. Um, <laughs> That's all it takes though. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would have said no, not that I've, it's, I'm an open book. I will tell anybody anything for real, much to some people's chagrin. I'm sure they don't want to know everything I've told them, but um, I haven't really noticed a mark change in anybody's life because of it. Although I have told plenty of people the truth. Um, my sister-in-law lives with us. She's a 15 year old. She lives with us right now. Long story. Great parents. No problem. She just lives with us. So um, <laughs> she, she the other day said something about, you know, I wish I looked like you or whatever, whatever. And I'm telling her, remember, you are who you are. This is what matters. And I'm like, you, you know, I'm telling you, you this, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, that was really insensitive of me to talk about. And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Um, so that that it has helped me in, in some ways. And then the other, just the other day at school, um, they had a they had a girl that they were concerned about. Um, her eating and stuff like that. And um, so they're like, can you talk to her? So yeah, has it become inspirational? Wouldn't say that. Not that I'm aware of. Somebody please let me know if it is. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I, I have I had the opportunity? I hope so. I hope I've helped somebody. I hope this helps somebody. Well, and listening to you say that, it, while, while you may not be able to point back to a specific <laughs> inspirational chicken soup for the soul story, uh, it does sound like others have recognized through your transparency, your honesty, um, and your ability to speak candidly about such a, a touchy t topic. You've been recognized as a resource uh, for others that are going through what, what you've gone through. And I don't, do you still go through things like, well, maybe I should stop eating again? Like, is it just a forever thing or are you able to move past it? Oh, uh, nobody can see my face right now. It's just like, Oh, uh, yeah. You want to, you want to have a big S on your, on your chest and be like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a hero now. Uh, no, it's still a struggle. But, um, what it's always been about is self hate. 
self-worth. That's what it's always been about. Whether the physicality changes or whatever, it's all been on the inside. And do I still struggle with insecurity? Yeah, big time. Um, that's just it's a, something that I have to go go through. Um, it and do I wish that I could be thinner? Yep, I do. I do because I need to go buy a new closet and I don't want to. So I do, <laughs> but but I have. Um, I've supportive people around me. Mostly they're just saying, get the new closet. Um, so, <laughs> so do I still, I think, yes, we're women in, in 2022, not women. You're not a woman, but, um, that's just something we're going to struggle with, I think. And I think that's unfortunate, but that's where we are. So yeah, diet culture is alive and well. Oh yeah. Uh, it, and it, I'm in my thirties now, which, Apparently is somewhat getting old. I used to think that was old. Now I'm like, I don't know. I feel all right. Um, it's not old. You're good. But around this good. around this time yeah. is when uh, you know they start targeting you on on your computer and stuff with weight loss stuff. <laughs> well, think about it this way: you're supposed to be in your 20s whenever you're the perfect whatever, and I don't feel perfect yet. So there, there's stress there too. Oh, so <laughs> it's I'm already on the downward slope, so I can yes. just oh, perfect. Yeah. That's actually much better. <laughs> Much more permissive. I'm so glad I could be inspirational to one. There's the inspiration <laughs> right there. There's the story. You now have your one. Yes. So, all right. Well, we are uh, hitting uh, close to the end here, um, and we've covered a lot. Uh, and I have to say, you're a great speaker about this. Um, you, you could do more podcasts if you want to. But oh, okay. with this, uh, I like to give an opportunity to people right at the end. Um, speaking directly to the listener, because we don't we don't know who's listening. Uh, if it's someone who's dealing with anorexia in the dark, someone who doesn't have those resources, maybe doesn't have somebody looking in and noticing the telltale signs, the differences in their body or um, the, the trips to the bathroom or, or whatever that may be. There's others that their family is struggling um, and their parents, maybe talking to parents who just, they don't know what to do. Their church says one thing, the doctor says another, or they've both agreed and they don't know what if they want to go to a facility. There may be others like, hey, yeah, my friends, or I, I, I don't know if I'll ever deal with someone like this. But if there's something you'd like to leave for the listeners as we, we come to a close here, uh, inspiration or action item or, or just something from today on your story, what would that be? I think I've told this story everywhere. It's kind of my favorite one. Um, so I've always sang. I've been told that I've sang before I could talk. Um, so I've always sang. I'm not a great singer. I can't read music, which is a real damper on the whole singing career thing. Um, so, um, but I've always sang. And um so when I went to treatment and I went to GBS, all of so when you graduate from the, the Christian school that I went to, it was almost expected at the time that you go to GBS. Lots of, that's why I didn't want to go. Um, so uh, lots of my friends were there. Okay. So I was walking across campus going to voice lessons, uh, just, you know, to hone my useless talent. And I, <laughs> I guess I was singing. I don't know. I sing all the time. Maybe I wasn't going to voice lessons. Maybe I was just going to class. I was singing out loud across campus, uh, which is probably obnoxious, but still, I was. And um, a friend from school, happened to be Mr. Stroop's son, uh, 
he apparently heard me. So he calls his dad, who was my teacher, giving me the weird looks at lunch. Um, he calls his dad and he goes, Dad, she's singing again. She's singing again. Okay. I didn't know that happened. That was my freshman year. Uh, junior year, I run into Travis, the son, and he tells me that story. And he said, I just can't believe how far you've come. And it was so good to hear you sing. It was like you're back. It was like you're alive. Um, I didn't even know that I was singing. I didn't know that I sang before the disorder out loud. I, I didn't know that was part of who I was necessarily, or at least I had forgotten in the haze. Um, but the thing that I would leave with others is even if you don't sing, you have a song to sing. You have a life to live and Satan is there to steal, kill, and destroy, to steal your joy, to kill your potential, to destroy what God wants to do with you. He wants to silence your voice. And don't let him, because everybody has something to give, whether it's a literal song across the campus or something else, whether it's doing podcasts at 30-some years old, um, whatever it is, you have something to give. Do not be silenced. I think that's what Grace Story is about. Um, everybody has something to give. And... Um, that would be my message. Um, do not be silenced by your insecurities. Sing out loud because somebody out there needs to hear it. I love that. I, I frankly, <laughs> I, I need to hear that because um, that is what Grace Story is about. The importance of story. You matter. Um, <laughs> there's no us without you. I love it. Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, Danae, <laughs> thank you for coming on this episode. Thank you for sharing. Um, I know there's going to be those that resonate with this. If, if people want to reach out to you and, and talk to you a little bit more, where would they find you? Um, that's, I don't really, I don't have something that I'm trying to sell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Facebook and Instagram and I'm located in Bedford, Indiana. Um, I teach at the uh, Christian Academy there and I don't know exactly. You could probably just find me on Instagram or Facebook, but uh, I can definitely be on the lookout for messages or something because if I can help anybody in any way, I'd be happy to. If I can listen to anybody's story, um, I'd be happy to. So Love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, it so if you, if you want to get more from Danae or talk to her, <laughs> look her up on Facebook, or you can send me an email, nate at greatstoryministries.com, yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll work uh, to get you in contact with her. All right. Thank you so much for coming on uh, Great Story Podcast today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed my conversation with Danae. What a great way she has of, of relaying her story in a way where it still brings out the seriousness of, of such a big eating disorder like anorexia while also infusing humor so we don't get lost in just the the drudgery or the 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 darkness of something like that it was amazing i love it um she's one that um talking to her in, in the post show pre-show she means it if you want to reach out to her she'd love to have a conversation with you um, so if you need information about her, uh, you can email me, Nate, at GraceStoryMinistries.com, or you can look her up on Facebook like we talked about. Uh, there's a lot there, uh, a, a great resource for you to have, uh, another one in Danae uh, as part of the Grace Story community. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. I tell you what, one thing that I, I, I love, some people have been emailing, uh, they've emailed questions, they've emailed topics. 
that they want to hear on this uh, podcast, uh, the different episodes. Some have emailed in guests that they want to hear, um, and that is so encouraging and so helpful when you guys interact. So send me an email, nate at graystoryministries.com. I look for them. I respond to them. If you have a topic idea, if you have a guest you'd like to hear, if you have a question you'd like for one of our uh, guests to answer, just send that on over. Like I say every time, there is no us without you. So engage, and we'll get the most out of this resource we can. We'll be back in two weeks, and until then, we'll be praying for you.